I actually have a word for some people in here. This morning as I was praying, uh, the story in, uh, in First Kings came to mind, and that's the story where Elijah just had this major victory in his life. And, and, and he saw God move in Israel, and his response was to go into deep depression. And he ran away and he hid. And uh, in 1 Kings 19, it says, He entered a cave there and he spent the night. And suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. Depression. And they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Me and Cam were talking, and so often we want things to look a certain way. We want God to come in the fire. We want God to come in the earthquake. But here's what the the word is. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. We just had that moment. We just had that moment of God whispering, God, holy, let's focus on you. God, holy, holy, holy. And in those moments when we focus on God and we're quiet and we listen, we can actually hear what he's having to say. And I feel like there's been a few of you in this room who you've been in a cave for a while. And this was actually a moment for you when God's saying, come on out of the cave. Because I've been speaking to you and I've been speaking to you and you need to get out of the cave. You actually need to take a step out. And I don't know if that's depression. I don't know if that's mental, if it's spiritual, if there's things going on in your life. If there's places where you've been disbelieving what God's been saying. But I actually feel like today was the moment when God was saying, hey, I'm whispering. Are you listening? As we go back into worship, the word is you actually need to trust what God's saying. In the middle of whatever, you know, the things that are going on. In the middle of, you know, the earthquakes, the fire the wind in the middle of people falling around you. God's actually saying to quite a few people in here, come out of the cave, come out of the cave because I'm speaking and you just need to focus and listen to me. And so as we go into worship, whatever you need to do in this moment, whatever God's telling you to do, I just want to challenge you to do it. Whether it's to send a text to that person, whether it's to get up here and dance, whether it's to just stand and lift your hands, whether it's to lay down in his presence, as we go back in, listen to the voice of God and do what he's telling you to do. Dennis and Katie were here in the 90s, especially about a three or four year, five maybe year period of time where they poured into this place. They came, they lived in Ontario. They came again and again and again to pour and deposit into this house and uh, were uh, just felt also, I'm like, I, I just really want her to come back. I feel like it's so important for her to come back. So I know for me personally and for this whole family, this couple has made a huge deposit. And so she, by the, I mean, I know it was a huge cost for you to come. And yet you, by the graciousness of your heart, said yes. 
And as we started to talk, we realized it was for more than maybe just for a relationship out of love. It was actually more. It was actually for the destiny of this house. There's something that she's going to say this morning that's actually going to land us more solidly into who we are. And we're not going to be whoa and fumbling about and tossed. We're going to know who we are as a family and we're going to operate in it more fully. And I just know that. I just know that. I love you. I love you. I honor you. Let's welcome her. Goodness, I have been so emotional since I've come here. Um, it does feel precious. It feels extraordinarily precious um, for so many reasons, not the least of which is the existing relationships that and the faces that I see. Um, my word, you know, I, you know, when I first came here, the very first time. I came, I didn't know who I was with. (laughs) I didn't know it was a Pentecostal church. I didn't know all of the, I mean, Dennis would school me in all the different appropriate things that you could say or do with different denominations. But all I remember is this sweet, beautiful woman asked me to come and speak. On a Sunday morning, we were here for another conference, and Diane Johnson had asked me to come speak. And I was still accidentally shooting sacred cows because I didn't know they were sacred. You know what I mean? And I remember I remember you two in the front row when I talked about my Aunt Sheen's butt ugly poodles and um, my aunt my aunt had extraordinarily ugly poodles, you know. They are a dog that don't age well and um, just generally and they hadn't aged well and she was dying and her dogs were ratty and I was talking about how we baptized my my aunt before she died and it was an impromptu baptism because she had called me and said I'm dying and I want to know I'm going to the same place you and Dennis are going to and so we took communion elements and while my other aunts and uncles sat with their beer on the kitchen table, we went in and served. We baptized my aunt, who had only known roughness in her life. She had only, she was the first woman to get a job on the line at General Motors in the 1950s. Yeah, so she worked with men. She could swear like a trooper. She knew how to keep them at bay, and she knew how to take them to her bed at the same time. You know, she was a, she was a lady with a history. And, um, but she wanted to go where Dennis and I were going, and I shared that. And, you know, and I talked about one of the volunteers that I had when I had a food and clothing bank and how he had fallen off the wagon, and I'd gone to, <laughs> I'd gone to find him in... Uh, some of the rough places, and I found him in his underwear and, you know, naked, almost naked and shaking. And I didn't know that you weren't supposed to kind of say those things on a Sunday morning. And here I am saying them now when I know better. <laughs> but I'm still saying them, you know. 
but uh, this was uh, this was a, a precious place, and it remains a precious place. What I'm convinced of is that we don't go well into our future without honoring where we've come from and without honoring who shaped us, who, who informed us, who breathed life into us, who saw Christ in us before we could see Christ in ourselves, before we could understand what our destiny is and who, who we look like. I'm more and more convinced, and you've heard me say this before, that as we age, we should look more like Christ. Where I'm, where I'm in, in a way where I think I'm taking that message further is coming back into our original design, because we all came from him, and how do we look like him? But that takes relationship, that takes other people seeing, I see that in you. One of the things that I want to the words that I'd like you perhaps to focus on today is the concept that all cognition is recognition. It's recognition. So where I'm going with this is if you have an intuitive understanding of Christ, of Jesus, of however you define the Trinity, you know, whichever part of the Trinity you relate to, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or if you understand them all, if you have a, an intuitive understanding of that, that's because he was in there first. You can only recognize what is already there. You can only know what has already been there. So all understanding is recognition. We're coming back to our original design. And I want to speak to you today about your individual original design, but specifically the original design of this house. Because we need to honor that, and I'm so grateful that you honored Ron and Brenda and Rodney and Heather. I want to take a few minutes and recognize who said yes in this house. And the first couple to say yes to the river were Bob and Diane Johnson. Bob Johnson opened the door to the emerging prophetic in this province and in this denomination. He opened the door. He opened the door to Tom Cook. And whatever all else happened to Tom Cook, I knew him when he was first saved. He's a brother of mine. He was like me. He was broken. He'd come from abuse. But he knew who his Redeemer was. And God, without apology, like the Lonnie Frisbees of this world, gave him an anointing to call people to Christ. And Tom was a bang-on prophet. He was bang-on. And Bob took the risk of opening the door prophetically to Tom Cook. And I want to honor Tom. He did a lot of damage. And Lonnie Frisney, Frisbee did his damage. And the reason I'm referencing that is for any of you that have um, recognized that this movie, The Jesus Revolution, which speaks to you know, the amazing move of God, which, by the way, that's how I came to faith in Christ, was through the Love Song album. I was listening to Alice Cooper and... Oh, my God, I had. And I liked all the raunchy-voiced guys. Like, I liked, you know, Leon Russell and Leonard Cohen and anything depressing. Like, if it was depressing and I could feel worse than I already felt, I listened to it. You know, 
So Janice, and for any of you who are older, like that was my music of the day. And then my friend who had come to faith in Christ would slip me these albums, and Love Song was one of them. And, uh, and that was the message of the gospel, and it got into my apartment, and it got into me, and um, Chuck, what was his name? Chuck Gerard, oh my, and Barry McGuire. Oh my gosh, Barry McGuire. You know, so those are, you know, for you younger generations, you wouldn't even know who they are. They're older than God, like me. <laughs> but their music at the time was how I came to understand the love of God. And so, and now here's this movie. Bob Jones used to tell us to watch what Hollywood was producing because he was speaking. So don't you love that that movie was in the works before this anointing fell on, that, on these young people. And young people now with the economy in tatters and we still haven't come back from the COVID trauma and disenfranchised people that are being sold socialism and every other stupidism um, are, are coming to an understanding of who he is inside of love. And boy, for me, if it's not inside of love, quite frankly, I'm kind of done with it. If it's, if it's inside of religion, that ship for me has sailed. And I'm just going to say for the record, the reason that Tom got taken out is because he took on a spirit of religion. It was ill-advised. It wasn't in prayer. It was in offense. That was in part but because he could see what religion did to people. And he got into a battle, and he had his own things, but that is kind of what takes us down. If you're going to battle the big guys, you better know what you're doing because the enemy's been around for a long time, and he knows how to fight. So there's that. Now, the other, um, so Bob and Diane said yes to Tom. And because of Tom, we got, Dennis got an invitation here because of Tom Cook. And um, that was, it was through Tom that we got our first invitations to Western Canada. It was, it's amazing. Um, and then, because we were in relationship with Bob Jones, Dennis and I, then Bob Jones came here. And you had Larry Randolph and Ray Hughes and Clive Pick. Bob and I said yes to a lot. And I want to honor, I want to honor their yes. You know? Thank you. And Jeannie Harrington were a mother and father in this house. Jeannie is a prophet, and Jeannie was a prophetic intercessor, and she would just hum with excitement. And, and she took everything in that there was to offer here. And you would not be who you are without Ken and Jeannie Harrington. I'm just saying that. with um, Ken and Diana. And I'm calling Diana, Diana now, and I'm going to, um, do you mind if I share that word about, uh, this is important for some of you to hear about Diana, and you know how you call her Di, and that's all good. 
and she said to me, she was, well, I think she said to the group, she was waiting for the Anna part of her name to come to fruition. The Anna part of her name has already come to fruition because she is a woman who was given herself to the house of the Lord. And when Anna was in the temple waiting to see the Redeemer, he, walked, he came in in the arms of Mary. Jesus came in in the arms of Mary, and she recognized her Redeemer. She recognized Christ. Diana can see Christ in people. And she sees who's walking into the temple. And she is an Anna in the house of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? And then you two and your whole love story, you know, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. And I remember when Dennis would have you singing the song of the Lord to each other. Wasn't that you and her? He would get you to sing the song of the groom, and she would sing the song of the bride. That's pretty precious. And Bob Jones loved you. Bob Jones really liked being in this house. And, uh, you know, I, I don't often reference this because I don't want it to look like name dropping, but it's really important to me, as I said, to honor the people that have um, informed our lives and shaped our lives. And I had the privilege of being loved by Bob. He called me his girl. Um, and it was here in November of 1999 that Paul put his mantle on me. Um, and I, I carry that with real respect and, and delight. And um, I'm saying that to say that Bob believed that you carried something in this house that was going to the nations. And you know how he would just, he would be up, up there calling things out of you and making declarations about this nation and what was happening. And I, I just want to honor that, need to honor that, and remind you of where you've come so you know full well where you're going. Yes. I want to read a word that Bob Jones had for you back in 1999. One of the reasons he sent me up here, I told them last night, I will tell you, I saw fruit like peaches. It wasn't ripe yet, but you have already gone through these two years. You have gone through a season of, first, you budded like a bud on a tree, and then you knew something was changing in you. Then you went through a season of blooming, all of a sudden, you began to see things. You never noticed that things were pretty. You just look. You just took things as drab. All of a sudden, you began to bloom, and the fragrance has been coming. The praise came, and a new energy and a new excitement came. You had like a spring in your life. These last two years, you are no longer in the bud or the bloom. You have become the fruit on the tree. This is what the Lord wants us to have, fruit. The fruit of the Spirit will begin to ripen in your life. Isn't that a good word? Yes. Yeah. And that's a word to go back to and to take a look and say, how, where are we in light of that word? Where are we? Um, we were with Bob and Viola in Sudbury, Ontario one time. 
And uh, I had an experience in the night where Bob had told me that I couldn't come out of the room. I was to just stay in the room. And there was a bowl of fruit in, in the room. And Bob said, you can stay. And here's fruit. Basically, you're not going to starve to death, you know. And, uh, and, and I thought, oh, that's funny. And I have to tell you, I'm not, I've never always been the sharpest knife in the drawer. And, uh, and Bob would have these words that were mysterious at times or just so simple that it beggared belief and you couldn't believe it could be that simple. So it was kind of whatever. But I, um, <laughs> in the morning, I said to him, I had this dream that you asked me to stay in the hotel room when there was only a bowl of fruit. And he was so kind, but he would look at me like, wow, that's slow. And uh, then he said, honey, just stay quiet and eat the fruit of the Spirit. You know? Now, one of the things that we can all do is take an assessment of where are we in operating in the fruit of the Spirit? Where are we operating out of love and joy and peace? All of those things. What was interesting is I knew last night that we had to find out what Bob Jones in one of his prophetic teachings had assigned different fruit to the different fruit of the spirit and the girls the women had felt that peaches were the key um, piece that they were to put on hope for the the weekend and peaches represent joy and when we found that out last night that just blew the lid off the whole thing we were in something pretty extraordinary last night because the fruit is the joy of the Lord. And I tell you what, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we practice joy, when we find joy in the simple things, I am going to repeat this. Some of the women have heard this already, but um, uh, after we lost our youngest son, Joshua, I had a really difficult time figuring out how I was going to go on. But one of the ways that I found to face life again was to find one thing a day I could be grateful for, one thing that could bring me joy. And if it, if it was one thing, I'm pretty simple. Quite often it was just a cardinal song because cardinals are life to me. You don't have them out here. But they're, they're a beautiful red bird with a unique song. And, and so I would you know go in and... and uh, and remember, okay, I could hear a cardinal. I could hear, I could hear the sound of the of the stream starting to loosen up from the winter, and hear the sound of water, you know, whatever whatever I could find. And so then, um, someone, I think a year after we lost Josh, gave me a book by a woman named Ann Voskamp, and it was called um, One Thousand Thanks. I think that was how she named it. A Thousand Gifts, thank you. And uh, it was the concept that she was challenged by a friend because she struggled with depression to find a thousand ways to say thank you to God. And uh, so that was the whole concept. She started that practice. And I started, 
I started that in, it was so interesting, I pulled out my first one. I started my, um, my first one in March of 2011. And around that time, the Christian chorus, um, uh, my heart, 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing. And so I'm a bit of a goal setter. And so I had this goal that I would have 10 of those 1,000 gratitudes before I did my final toes up. Because I just didn't know how long it was going to take to fill a journal with 1,000 gratitudes. And I thought, wouldn't that be nifty if before I do my final one, and I would leave behind 10,000 in like written down reasons for my heart to sing. And so I, I started, I started that process. And I have 40 more entries in my 10th journal of 1,000 gratitudes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not doing a toes up. I'm praying hedge protection around myself that I won't get schmucked by a truck before I'm supposed to or fall over and hit my head or whatever, tomato. I'm, in, I'm intending to stay now, but back then I wasn't. But now I've, you know, I've done some closing of doors. Bottom line is I'm going to keep that practice up because I think it's a good practice, I think. And, you know, personally, I've got, you know, my kids will never read them. And, and you know, someone said to me, do you have repeats? And it's like, you betcha, like, <laughs> duh. Like, every year when spring comes and every Christmas tree is the best Christmas tree and every Christmas season the lights are the best, you know, whatever. I've got all kinds of repeats in different, because I'm grateful for the same things. And then I'm grateful for new things. And if a dog smiles at me, I get extraordinarily grateful. I just need one dog to smile at me and I'm, I'm cool with that. It doesn't take a lot. You know, and that's something to practice is being grateful for the small things. Grateful that somebody smiled at you, grateful that you've got kids, grateful. There's just countless ways that you could spend being alert to what you're grateful for. And it, it changes how you look at life, it just does. And you get to be grateful and sorrowful at the same time. Because do you know what? Suffering lives companionably with joy. You can, you can have suffering, and you can have joy. And I, we have that. I personally know how that works. All right. This is my other piece that I'd like to um, encourage you in. And we're coming up to Easter. We're coming up to this understanding of what happens when the I am identifies himself. For a long time, I highlighted all the I am scriptures in how John talked about the I am. John was the one who laid his head against the, the breast of Jesus. John was the one that had the revelation, for the book of Revelation. And John is the one that talks about the I am quite often. So I've gone through it, and, and I thought, I really like the I am statements. That's, that's a pretty significant statement. He identified himself, this creator, this wonderful triune being that created the world, identified himself to Moses as the I am. He said, I am that I am. That's kind of like, that's it, I am. And what struck me 
is, and this one always, always messes me up. When Jesus was in the garden and he was following through with what the Trinity had made as a plan before time. Before time, they knew that Christ was going to come fully God and fully man and bear everything for us to reconcile himself. Not because God was angry with us, but because they loved us that much. That was a before-time plan. It was not plan B because we were so stupid that Adam and Eve ate of the garden so man could blame women forever in 10 years about the woman thou gavest me. All of that, I've got a four-letter word for it, um, but it's nonsense. Anyway, all of that. That isn't why they planned it. They planned it because it was how they outpoured their love. So, They know who they are. Jesus comes fully God, fully man. He's been hinting to the people who he is, and people are getting it. This is the Redeemer. This is the Messiah. And when the cohorts, cohorts of Romans come for one man, I don't have my notes here, but that was upwards of 3,000 soldiers coming to that garden, and it's small. If you've never been to Israel, that's not a big garden. So let's just say we stick with 3,000. 3,000 boots, 3,000 spears, 3,000 shields marching in tandem like only the Romans could march. You would have heard the earth shaking when they were coming close. And then one of the very brave Pharisees you know, because religion's so brave, um, asked, you know, they get Jesus to identify himself. And, he, and they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And the I am says, I am. And 3,000 men are knocked to the ground. 3,000 men are knocked to the ground and swords would clang, and helmets would clash, and shields would clank into each other. Could you imagine what that sounded like? That would have been monumental. That would have been when the angel said, thank you, thank you, because we've known who you were before time, and you said it out loud. He said it out loud to Moses. He said it out loud in the garden. Now, that I am lives in us. That's who lives in us. The I am in us. And he takes his wondrous, unique way of expressing himself in you, in you, in you, in you, in me. And if we knew who the I am was in us, if we came back to our original design of how he chose to reflect himself in us, we would act differently. We would be much more relaxed in a way. One of the stories I tell about our youngest son, Josh, who was the youngest, and he was well-loved, and I often say I was less screwed up by the time Josh came along and I did less damage to my two younger kids. And any of us that are, have more kids recognize you parent your youngest differently than you parent 
you know, the oldest ones, like, they have different parents, basically. Um, <laughs> like, really different parents. Anyway, anyway, Josh just knew he was loved. And one of my favorite Joshua stories um, was the older kids. He, he, the older kids were always home first, and it was my half day off. I was up in my room ironing, and I heard the school bus, and I heard the, you know, the back door open, and the backpack hits the wall, and I can hear his shoes hit the wall. And this nine-year-old kid says, I'm home. Who wants to cuddle me? And all of them, the girls were in their room, and Ben was in his, but Ben said it first, and Josh comes stinky feet thumping up the stairs, and he's sitting in Ben's lap, and they're having a talk, and Ben's always had a deep voice, so it's Ben's deep voice and Josh's little boy voice, and Josh is telling him whatever he wanted to tell him, and Ben is listening, and then all of a sudden, he gets off of the chair, he runs downstairs and says, going to the park, see ya. That's a kid who knew he was loved. That's, that's when you know you're secure, you are loved. And then when Josh later on came back to this understanding of who he was in Christ, he was unapologetically who he was. You know? It's, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't apologize for who is in us? And if people see something in us, do you know what? Dogs like me. And I think I can live with that. I like that dogs like me. I like dogs. And uh, I've got this, this thing going in our neighborhood. We've moved. We own our home now for the first time in 43 years. We've got a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood and sweet neighbors. And we had a little Bijan Shih Tzu cross who had a stronghold of entitlement, but he was, you know, he was what he was, you know what I mean? Josh, Joshua had a German shepherd who was a rescue dog. Rescue dogs have a whole different mentality on life. Unlike the rescue dog, it's like, life is this good. Like, Tucker came into our home, and Tucker was like, oh my God, this is good, this is good. Like, I don't know how long it's going to last, but this is good, you know what I mean? And then Toby comes into our life, and it's like, my life will be good. You know, and you will be the people that provide it. You know what I mean? And you know people like that in your lives that are two-leggers, not four-leggers. You know, those ones that say, I expect life to be good, and you better, you know, make sure that it is living up to my expectations. So people are like dogs, or dogs are like people. Anyway, we had a grateful, and we had an entitled. And Toby just was not going to make friends with dogs that he didn't think he should. And there were two little dogs not dissimilar to him, kitty corner from where we live. Anyway, and they all didn't like each other because they were all entitled and they all are kind of like entitled people in church that don't like each other. You know, this is my territory, don't go here, don't go there. I could do a sermon on that one, but I won't. (laughs) I get all these good ideas and I don't go anywhere now. But anyway... So I'm going back to these little dogs. So Toby, Toby died a year ago. He, um, he had that little crossover experience. And um, so he's gone. <laughs> and and uh, there's these two dogs kind of kitty corner to us who don't like anybody. They don't like dogs. They don't like people. I was vacuuming my car one evening, and they came up to the driveway, and our neighbor, Barb, says, they never do that. Tucker never comes and sees other people. Bottom line is Tucker fell in love with me, and I could live with that. Like, Tucker would, now Sophie loves me, too. They won't go for a walk unless they stop at my front door. 
And the first time, the first time that I thought Tucker might have liked me, I said, would you like me to go for a walk with you? And she said, yeah. And then and I said, do you want me to hold Tucker's leash? And she said, oh, he won't let you. And I picked it up, and he, he let me. And then we're walking, and doesn't this little dude dog turn around and give me a dog smile? And I said, like, did he just smile at me? She goes, he never smiles at anybody. You know what I mean? And so, and you know when you live in neighborhoods, you know, I, we're walking around, and people would say, Kate, did you get a new dog? And Barb would say, no, no, it's, it's our dog. He fell in love with Kate, you know? And so there's this kind of, it was this, it's just this sweet thing. I can live with, it, with the fact that dogs might like me because that's okay. And if I'm known by this neighbor as somebody that her dogs love, then that might look a little bit like Jesus to her. And I don't have to preach to her. I don't have to tell her. It can just be, if a dog likes me and if your dogs like me, good on you. You know what I mean? So where, how do we reflect that? All of you reflect him so beautifully. That's the thing. And um, there are so many spiritual practices that have been around for quite some time. And one of the spiritual practices is gazing on icons. The Orthodox Church did that. Because in the early days, there was no people didn't read, they had icons, and you could gaze on icons of Jesus. You could gaze. Because the concept is, is that what you look at, you will become. You know that song that says, look full on his wonderful face? You see, it's mirroring. Mirroring is how we make attachment. When children grow in healthy attachment, they mirror, they look into the eyes of their mother, and they see love, and they attach, because what they see back is unconditional love, fully, fully gone love. Out of that secure attachment, when they see mirrored adoration, then you've got a secure kid. Do you know that um, I, read, I read a line? I, I don't hear this being anything more than it is, but I have fallen in love with a lot of Irish writers, and a lot of them are dead, um, sadly, or I, probably a good thing in a way, or I might try to figure out where they live. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But um, <laughs> there's something about Irish writers that, that, that um, capture the romance of language for me and, and the romance of place, and boy, did the Irish know how to present the word. It was the Celts that had the Book of Celts and all of the artistry. And you know, in all of those transcripts of the word, these artists would draw in all of his creatures and his people on the margins of the Bible that they were hand copying and there would be these intricate, intricate parts of nature right in. Don't you think that's amazing? That they couldn't write about the creator without illustrating his creatures? That's wondrous to me. And so, anyway, I've, you know, I just, I have a, I like books. I 
beat a lot of books, and there's this beautiful Irishman. I actually took his writing. I went. I, I did a course with him. Um, anyway, he has a line in one of his books, and it's about these two twins, these kids who came into their parents' life later in life, and um, their parents were just gone over them. And she talked about what it was like to look up and see her faces, just see their faces looking over the pram in adoration. And the line says, if you are adored, you are adorable. Don't you think that's something? If you're adored, you're adorable. And the bottom line is, you are adored. And you know what? If you can adore Christ, it's because he adored you first. See, that's this whole concept of mirroring. You can only give back what was already put in you. Then you don't have to worry, are you doing it right? You just give back what was already there, and then you can ask for it to grow. Then you can say, what was this in me? What, what do you know about me that I didn't know about me? I would have said from my past in the way I saw things, I would have said it was the least romantic person in the whole world. I don't watch stupid romantic movies. Like, I'm sorry, but I just can't watch a Hallmark movie. I, you know, it's just kind of like... It's like too much whatever for me. And that's, you know, go ahead and watch them because God love them. I, I, I've never watched one. <laughs> but um, anyway, but, 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 I recognize that I have, I am totally in love with creation. I love words. I love language. I love a well thought out sentence I'm a romantic and I'm getting more and more romantic as I get older and that's this internal romance because he knows he knows our language so the other thing that I want to focus on a little bit is finding the language that is unique to him and you because he has his own tone of voice with you he has his own way of saying your name do you know, all of my kids have it. You know, the two, my two remaining sons, Stephen and Benjamin, both call me mama, but they have a different way of saying it. And so Ben calls me mama with one way of saying it. Steve says my name a different way. Rebecca calls me ma, and Abigail calls me mom. Josh used to call me mom. Every one of them has a name for me with a different tonal inflection and a little bit of a different way. And I have my own names for them. We know each other's language. And I speak differently. Every kid has a different language. I've, I don't know if I've ever told you the story before, but in learning how to um, kind of be a, a mom that was paying attention, I, I said to my kids when they got old enough, tell me what it is I do that makes you absolutely nuts. And I will do everything I can to change that. So if you can respectfully tell me what it is that I do that just makes you wiggly, I'll work on it. And so I did that with all of my, my kids. Um, and then I, if, if I kept falling into it, we had a secret signal. And they'd say, you're doing it again. You know, Benjamin's thing, our oldest son, Benjamin, said, he said, your disciplines are like a hole with a bucket. And I said, 
explain that to me. He said, you'll give us a discipline, but then you feel so bad about it that you come back and you take it away because you feel so bad. It's like a hole with a bucket. And was like, a hole with a bucket, thank you. Thanks, Steve. A bucket with a hole. <laughs> well, yeah, that is a different concept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so reframe that one, a bucket with a hole. Yes, so, you know, I, I had those, and I would, I would work on them because I wanted to speak their language. Josh had come home from school one day, and I, um, it was post, I was after work, I was peeling potatoes, and he was talking to me, and I was peeling potatoes, and he said, you know, you're not a very good listener, and... And I said, Josh, I don't think that's true. That's kind of what I do. I listen to people. He said, no. No, you're not a good listener. You're always doing what you want to do, but you never stop and just listen. And that was when I recognized for Joshua, he needed eye contact as he was talking. And then I recognized if it was going to be meaningful to Josh, I had to put down what I was doing and he was a guy, they don't have a lot to say, they just want to hear it when you're saying it. You know what I mean? That's the thing. And I gotta tell you, this is another freebie, but my gosh, did I love driving boys to football practice. Man, can you learn a lot from a car full of teenage football boys. They were all stuck into the back of my PT Cruiser, and uh, I, was the, I was the football mom. Oh, Lord, that's, that's a listening experience. I knew, I found more in those three years than I knew about men in a lifetime. Every once, <laughs> every once in a while, I'd put up my hand, like I'd say, Mom, in the car, and they'd go, oh, oh, you know, and they'd forget, and they'd say, oh, Aunt Katie, because all these football boys called each, all the other moms auntie. And so they'd go, Aunt Katie, we're sorry, you know. But listening to your kids, listening to what is their unique relationship that's what he does with us he knows you one of my favorite things when i my favorite and scary things that i still do is when i'm working with people and i'm listening i was in oh my gosh i was in a church one time that florida time that you and i were together with don in florida um Pastor Don, right? Anyway, uh, I was meeting with their leadership team, uh, and there was this word that I had, and and I said it, and it was rude. And I said, you know, I said, I think you don't give uh, blah 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 about your job. And as soon as I said it, I thought nuts. I did it again. I shared an expletive with a group of Christians, you know, and, and he got really quiet and I thought, nuts, I've done it again. And then he looked at me and he said, oh no, I say that almost every day, you know? And, and that's, that wasn't to expose him. When um, I've, I've had different clients, I sometimes meet with elite athletes um, and many of them don't know who have any concept of Christ but he always knows their history. And I told this to the women, but I'm going to repeat it. There was one girl, and her coach had knocked her down so much that she wasn't in the game anymore. He had, he had degraded her, or she had rid her. It was a bad new scene, and she had lost her ability to be 
who she had been in her sport. So we were talking, and I, I said, um, I said, did anybody when you were younger ever call you Tigger? And she looked at me like, well, that's a silly question. And, and she said, no. And I thought, oh, okay. And that's still what happens to me. I, get, I hear it, but I'm not entirely sure. But I go out, it's a little bit of a limb, and sometimes it's bang on, they recognize it right away, and other times it takes a little bit of time. So I redirected the conversation, and I went on, and all of a sudden she's sitting in the corner of our sofa, and she said, wait a minute, my grandpa always called me Tigger. And I said, darling, because, I said, so was your grandpa one of those people that knew you better than anyone else? And she started to cry, she said, yeah and he died. And I said, you know what? That knowing your grandpa knew you, you are a taker. You are meant to be resilient. You are meant to bounce back. And that was the key for her to coming back, anchoring herself. But she said to me, how did you know that? And I said, dearest, the only way that I can possibly know that is if I get quiet and listen to the one that knows you best. That's the only way. We can all get quiet and inquire and say, what do you know about this person? What do you know about your kids? What do you know about your grandkids? What do you know? I, um, Dennis has been in hospital now for quite some time, and he was in one wing of the hospital. It was, it was just a little rough, and um, anyway, I went in one day and something had shifted in the room and I looked up on the board and not all of the nurses write their names and all of the details on the board but she had and she had cleaned off the board and her handwriting had something on it it had an anointing to bring order and so I thought wow the whole room has shifted and it was evident in her handwriting so I stuck my head out and I said honey are you my husband's nurse today? And she said, yes. And I said, may I say something to you? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you have um, a strength where you can bring order and you can, in that order, bring a calming influence? And I said, it's evident in your handwriting. And she looked at me. She said, okay. And I said, does that make any sense to you? She said, well, no one's ever said that to me before. I said, but darling, do you know how to bring order? She said, yeah. And I said, well, there you go. And so two days later, um, Dennis was getting out for that one, one day. And, uh, and she saw me. She said, oh, by the way, I called my mom and told my mom what you said to me. And I said, did your mom agree with it? She said, yeah. And I said, well, there you go, honey. And, uh, and then Dennis is in... Um, Dennis is back in, and there, there was, a, anyway, there was this sweet young Filipino nurse who was taking such good care of all of the patients, a sweet young guy. And, um, and uh, I had said to him after a couple of days, I said, may I say something to you, honey? And he said, yeah. And I said, first of all, may I ask you a question? I said, may I ask you what your birth order is? Because I thought he was a middle. And he said, I'm a middle. And I said, I thought you were. And, um, and I said, may I tell you who you are to these patients? And I said, you were made to be a nurse. This was what you were made for. You were made to be attentive and patient and caring. And I 
just said what he was made for, and he got so quiet. He said, no one has ever said that to me before. And I said, well, darling, if no one's ever said that to you before, it's been a little late coming. And I said, I'm sorry, but here you are. This is how I think you, you are seen. And I don't say anything about God, not because I'm trying to hide God from me. It's just people just want to be known, you know? You can, you can, you can do that. You can say... Who do I know you to be? I was, I was beside one of the girls in the Pilates studio one day. And I, she's just the sweetest, sweetest woman. And I, I said to her, may I ask you a question? She said, yeah. And I said, were you one of those really well-loved kids? She said, why do you ask? And I said, because you act like you are well-loved. She said, oh, I was. She said, my dad loved me. She said, when I was a kid, I had an eye turn, and I had to wear a patch, and my dad told me I was the most beautiful pirate in the whole world. <laughs> Isn't that the sweetest thing? And, 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 she, and, she, and, and she said, why did you ask me that? And I said, because it just seems obvious to me that you're well-loved. I said, you carry something that only well-loved people carry. And she just lost it. She just started to cry. We get to do that. I hope you're doing that. I'm sh I hope you're doing it. And you can do it more. Because everybody wants to be known. That's all we want to know in life is, are we known and are we seen? Or are we invisible? And if you might be, unfortunately, invisible to other people, you are not invisible to our creator. He knows you. He knows where you are. And when you tap into this Trinitarian dance and their investment in us, like, don't you love that he knows everybody's story? He hosts all of our stories. You host your kids' stories and your grandkids, but you don't have gazillions of them. This creator that knew us before time hosts our stories, and he knows them. He knows the stories of cities. He knows the stories of churches. He knows the stories. He knows our story, and we need to go back and tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love and how he loved Spruce Grove Community Church and who he sent here and who's still here and where you're going and where is Spruce Grove going. He's invested. He's invested. He is not a distant God and he's so invested that he knows the minutia and he knows the big stuff. And the other thing that I want to recognize before I close this up is we, we really need to recognize the angels and what they do for us how they work with us, how the angels have knew what the story of this church was. They knew the story before you all knew it. The angel that was assigned here came knowing what the story was going to be. And how many times do you welcome the angels into this presence? Probably a lot, knowing this house. But they host your stories. They know your story. Every one of you has an angel that knows your story. That's pretty fascinating to me. And you know what? I make a practice, and you've heard me if you've ever heard me. I thank my kids' angels. I thank my grandkids' angels. 
with little Annabelle, our youngest grandchild, it just happens that I have more time with her because she's only 20 minutes away and uh, I get to observe her more. Um, and I, I, Abigail and Jamie were committed that this little one would not forget her original design. Abigail prays over her every night that whatever has knocked her out of her original design and her original knowing of Christ, that she would be back into alignment with her. And, um, and, I, and I know Annabelle sees angels, all, most all little kids, if there's an environment for them, see it. And they play with her, and I watch them playing with her. I watch where her head goes, and you know, when, when, they were, when she was smaller, they would play peekaboo over my shoulder. I, I saw her, her little head bobbing, and I'll, I'll say to the angels, thank you for your relationship with her. Angels even hang out with dogs. And I'm just going to, this is, this is a true story. Because um, if we don't talk about them and make it real, then you'll forget. You'll forget. Because we're forgetful people. That's the saddest thing in the whole wide world, is that we're forgetful. That's why I built an altar of remembrance, and it sits on my desk. And that altar has a pink granite stone from my family farm that I had to let go because we didn't have the money. I didn't have the money to buy my brother out. And so I had to let go of something that was important to me. So I have a piece of granite, a piece of a rock, and it sits on my desk. And on that piece of granite are stones from Lake Huron, where Joshua left for heaven from, where my kindred that I loved had her cottage, and I spent 22 years walking the beaches of Lake Huron and talking to the lake and thanking it for how embracing it was. And so I have stones from Lake Huron and they're glued onto that piece of granite rock because the granite is pink in Northern Ontario and when we would get closer to my grandpa who was a person who knew me and I was safe with, I would see the granite rocks and I knew that then we were only an hour and a half away and so granite rocks anchor me to time, they anchor me to place, and I have the stones. And when I'm lost, some days, because some days I forget, and some days I don't know how I'm going to, how do I care for the hearts of my children and grandchildren, and what does our future look like? And I'm contending for Dennis, and I forget, and I put my hands on that altar of remembrance and I say I know who you are I know that you have been good to me and you will always be good to me that's how I anchor myself and then when I get a new to a new place I I remind myself that's where I met you that's where I knew you when I found all these books of the Catholic mystics and I'm writing the go train home from Toronto with a young prophet named Cal Mumby, and he was in town and he was staying with us. And I found all of these books at when the world's largest bookstore <laughs> was closing in downtown Toronto. And I had, you remember that one? Oh my gosh, is that, was that not the best bookstore in the whole of the wide world? And I was trying to find Brennan Manning books. He's a Catholic former Catholic priest, his books were beautiful. And so I was going in to find all the Brennan Manning books I could find. 
and I found all these other ones because books call my name and be that way. You know, if you're a book person, you know that books call your name. And so I'm pulling off of the shelves all of these books and they were like 75% off and so it's a bargain and they were calling my name and I didn't even know what they were. I just felt like, pick me, pick me, pick me. So we're driving home and I'm saying to Kale, look at what I found. And he said, do you even know what you have there? And I said, no. He said, I do. And he introduced me to some of them. Some of them were the Catholic mystics. Some of them wrote about the Desert Fathers. What I found in those books was a language that I finally understood. And I, I, I love all of these circles that I've traveled with, but a lot of the language hasn't felt right to me. It didn't speak to me. But when I started to read these Catholic mystics, I felt like I was coming home. And I would say to Papa, I've come home, I've come home. Somebody speaks my language. And, and I remember Bob saying, honey, you pay attention to the Catholics because they know something that we're not always giving them credit for. And the Anglicans and all the other ones. Do you know what? So where I'm going with this in this hodgepodge, I'll pull it all together by grace is that every one of you speaks a different language. And help each other find the language. And if somebody speaks a different language to you spiritually, for heaven's sake, celebrate it. You know, like, duh. Kind of. (laughs) There's a spiritual word for you, duh. But anyway, we get to celebrate how unique we are. We get to give credit where credit is due. And um, my gosh, we're rich, aren't we? Aren't we the richest people in the whole of the wide world to have any concept that the Creator loves us? That this amazing triune God that is so in love with each other invites us into the dance? So for me, when I get lost, when I'm under busy being under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where, and this is a uh, This is not another sermon, I promise. But you know what? Many of us, because of religion, get under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And many of us have parked our butts on what we believe is the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in and of itself pretty dumb. But we get there, and we park there, and we're convinced of our own rightness, and good on you, like, go live there. But because of the cross because of the other tree. We get to go to the tree that our Redeemer redeemed us at and repent and sit under the tree of life because that's where the Trinity abides is under the tree of life. And when I'm lost at night and I'm frightened or I'm as mad as spit at something and I have been over here, I just say to myself, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'll take communion, which I take often, and I'll go to that cross and I'll take communion all by myself and then I'll go and sit under the tree of life where the Trinity lives and I'll quiet myself there. And I don't always have the answers but that's where I practice. That's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice. 
And I don't live there all the time, but that's where my intention is. And whatever your intention is, you will eventually find yourself there. The intention of this house has been to be a prophetic worship and house of intercession. Sometimes in the different ways that we go, we forget a little bit about how we got there. And then I would, Jonathan, there you are. Hey, love. I was looking for you, and I, okay. This is a young man I know from before. Um, Anyway, uh, sorry, it doesn't take much. You just have to say squirrel, and I'm gone. Anyway, okay. Where is it going? Oh, fiddle dee dee. Um, yes, there we go. Just get quiet. Help, ask people to help remind you who you are. Find somebody that really loves you. You know, and, and uh, that was one of the great things about being Bob's girl is, you know, we only sometimes saw him once a year, sometimes twice. But when Bob looked at me, I knew he knew me. And he knew, I knew that he loved me. It wasn't even because of anything except that he loved me. And I used to say you could go a long way on a little bit of love. And uh, sometimes you just got to look into the eyes of someone that loves you. And if you don't have anyone that really knows you, well, that can happen. Then you need to ask Papa to send you someone that does. That can be a kindred, that can be a mentor, that could be a spiritual advisor, it can be whomever. It could be a dog. All right, now, oh boy. Um, I've never been the best closer. I, I confess I've never been the best closer. Could you come and help me, darling? Just help me close this, please. I'd say you did a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> I just get die up and then it always goes good. Oh. <laughs> you know, he likes you that much. He likes you. You know what, just one little tidbit here, sorry. Yeah. Um, Diana reminded me of uh, one of the times, oh yeah, this is important, thank you, Diana. Um, one of the services here, in one of the worship nights, Elijah came right up your center aisle. He walked right in. Did some of you remember that? That was turning the hearts of the children to the father and the father to the children. And that's what today was in part about. Thank you, Diane. I would have missed that tie-in. Thank you. That is honoring the spiritual fathers and mothers that went here and the people that have done that. That's important. And thank you. I want to recognize Elijah and what he did. Thank you. Thank you. Um. Katie, don't go anywhere. Uh, as Katie was talking, like, I just wanted to honor you and to thank you for bringing the message of honor and the message of love that's so needed. Um, as she was talking, I was actually thinking of um, the brokenness and trauma that came from my relationship with my father um, and, uh, and, and how 
something shifted in my life when I was able to actually look back and see the battles that he fought on my behalf that I don't actually have to fight because of what he went through as when he was growing up. Um, and I think it's such an important reminder that we need to always look back to see the battles that we haven't had to fight because of the generation before us. And then also to look forward for the battles that we're fighting for the generation coming after, or coming next. Um, and so I'm actually just feeling in my heart that uh, I need the leadership to come up here. Um, and Stephen, care if you want to come as well. Before we go, can we just pray for Katie and Dennis um, and just surround them um, and just to honor uh, the legacy that God's deposited through your lives. Um, I saw a picture of like Google's Maps when you look at it and you see the little tiny area where you are, but when you actually zoom out, there's actually a much bigger picture. Um, and I just heard the Lord saying that you guys see the small picture right now, but when you get to heaven, you're going to see a much bigger picture. Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's through faithfulness and honor and love um, that God has poured into so many people uh, through your and Dennis's legacy. Um, and so, God, I thank you. If you guys have anything, jump in. God, I thank you for this, this couple. I thank you for this couple that you have put things into, that you have called generations out, that you have deposited so much stuff around the world um, and the plans and the purpose that you have, God. And God, I thank you for their willingness to just show up. I thank you for their willingness to just love, uh, to honor, uh, and to just keep putting one step in front of the other. So God, I just pray that you would, uh, you're, you're not done yet. Um, God, I thank you for what's coming even more, God, um, that, that when the final day comes, they can look back and say, God, we were faithful. We did what you asked. And he will say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Uh, so God, I thank you that it is not done. I thank you that you have more coming. Uh, and God, I thank you for just everything that you have been able to do through their faith. I just keep hearing, Dennis and Katie, you will see the goodness of our God in the land of the living, and you even don't have to wait to heaven to see it. And I just, um, on behalf of one who never met you in that season, I am fruit of what you deposited here. And so I believe the Lord is going to begin to show you the fruit of the fruit of what you sowed 20 years ago, and even before that, but the Lord is doing this cool season where he's going to show you the fruit and that it's going to raise up this new faith, this new hope for more and that it goes beyond the generations further than you can imagine and so we thank you for the seeds that you planted that have produced fruit and that they would continue and I just speak that you will see the goodness of our God in the land of the living. Thank you Lord. Just want to say when Dennis and Katie are in the house, things are forever changed. They are never the same as they once were. And so I just want to bless you for that. I just want to honor and acknowledge that anointing. I just want to say how needed it is in the body of Christ and in the world. So thank you. Thank you for coming once again. Our, our lives are different from this point. I feel like this is a new beginning. 
And so, God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for what you deposited in Dennis and Katie as individuals and as a couple. God, I want to thank you for the wide-spreading uh, fruit of their lives. God, I just ask that that would continue. God, what they deposit here and what they deposit in other places, I pray that you would give those that they deposit into the faithfulness to carry it on and carry it forward. Wow. Amen. Amen. Wow. We're actually going to sing a song that uh, Ben wrote when um, Dennis was in the hospital uh, a year and a half ago. We were fighting for his life. And this song and this sound came out of that season. So we want to declare it. When you feel like you can't go on called Second Wind. And you've got nothing left inside. When the battle's gone away too long. And then you feel you want to You don't have to worry about singing it. You can just receive it. When the damage just feels too much. Just won't go Lift your head up just one 